All right. Well, we're going to kick off today. You know, we, we skipped ahead, you know, about 12 chapters in Proverbs. And that was more because I kind of wanted to have a bit of an optimistic lesson after me just railing you guys last week a little bit. So, uh, no, you, didn't want, you don't want any optimism? You prefer my pessimistic lessons? Yeah, okay. Uh, but, but we have been, uh, Scott Sambar and I have been talking about this proverb for a long time now. And so I was kind of itching to to uh, get to this lesson eventually, because I think it's a really important lesson for us to understand. There's a lot of wisdom packed into this very, very short proverb. And so I wanted to maybe start with just a quick, make sure we all know where everyone's coming from, from the age demographic a little bit. And so I apologize for violating every pastoral policy here. But I'm ask you guys to stand up if you're in whichever generation. And you guys on Zoom, wave if I call you out here. So the greatest generation... It represents people born between 1925 and 1945. Do we have any of those in here? Greatest generation. We got OA. All right. Yeah, we got a few in here on Zoom. We got some some waivers. So we've got we've got we've got five, six, seven of the greatest generation in our class, which is really cool, uh, by the way. The uh, 1946 to 1962 represents the baby boomers, uh, predominant baby boomer population in the class. Uh, plenty of guys waving on Zoom are baby boomers. Then you get what I call the lost generation, 1963 to 1980, the Gen X. We got a couple Gen Xers, a few Gen Xers around here. No one ever talks about the Gen X guys, right? You're, you're, you know, we go straight to the bad news, which is the millennials. So millennials, 1981 to 1996, and, uh, you know, we're the scour of the earth, apparently. So then you go to the current generation, which I think we can all agree they're the ones screwing it up for the rest of us. You know, 1997 to present is called Gen Z, and I don't think we have any 1997 to present in here. Uh, but that, that's Gen Z. So I say that to say if, if you think about all those generations, what you know about those generations, uh, there's a lot of differences with where each of those generations comes from. The, the guys who uh, come from the greatest generation have lived through a lot. I mean, a lot. And the guys who have come from the boomers uh, have gone through a lot. I mean, and so you think about just we all come with a lot of differences. But there's one thing that is absolutely true about every single generation and I think this quote from George Orwell says it best. George Orwell, who's the author of 1984, Animal Farm, fascinating guy, he says this. He says, every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. Right? So each generation thinks they're pretty much smarter than the people who came before and much wiser than the people who have followed them. Uh, the way I would say this is um, we think the people who came before us are naive, foolish, and out of touch, and we think the people who are coming after us are absolutely screwing everything up that we work so hard for. Right? That, that is a predominant thought that comes from every generation. There's nothing new under the sun here. We all have this feeling. Uh, I, 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 remember, I remember just thinking about this just in terms of a microcosm you know, at my high school. You know, thinking about all you did to work to make your high school a great school and the, the program you were in. And, you know, and then you, you watch the people that come after you and you just feel raw and angry when you see them doing things that you didn't want them to do with it. Right. We all have that natural feeling. So now we have I feel like as a culture today, we have taken this to probably an extreme level where not only do we, do we believe Orwell's statement to be true, but we kind of rub salt in the womb, so to speak. Uh, this can be epitomized 
probably in the best case by how we make fun of the baby boomers. So you guys, are you guys aware of the OK Boomer phenomenon? Have you guys heard of this? Uh, my dad and I had to have a long conversation about OK Boomer. Uh, but OK Boomer is pretty much something that the Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Zs put on social media to make fun of the baby boomers, right? And I never do this, right? I never make fun of the baby boomers. Uh, my dad still feeds me a couple times a week, yeah. yeah it's, well, I do make fun of my dad every now and then. Also, on, my, on this, he, he, he lays it up, though. He posts something on our, on our neighborhood Facebook group, and he says, I lost my second pair of scissors in the neighborhood uh, driveway or um, street somewhere. Has anyone seen them? And that was the perfect time to put hashtag OK Boomer. You know, I mean, it was just one of those. It's like, how do you lose scissors in the street? But there, he had a very good explanation for it. Anyway. Uh, this generation likes to make fun of the boomers. Anytime they do something that seems out of touch, it's okay, boomer. You know, just as this kind of pat them on the head and let them go about their day. So this has been going on, though. I, I, I think right now in our society, it seems like it's gotten really bad. And I think if you look at the protests going on and everything, it is very, uh, you feel this tension that is occurring between say, the, the baby boomers and the greatest generation in particular and the current Gen Z guys. There's a lot of tension that is occurring. Uh, and we think this is, this is a new problem. We think this is something we are just now struggling with, but this has always been the case. Aristotle, in the 4th century B.C., says this. He says, Young people are high-minded because they have not yet been humbled by life nor have they experienced the force of their circ- of circumstances. They think they know everything and are always quite sure about it. Right, so that was Aristotle, you know, about 2,400 years ago, right? It's been, it's been a long time. My question, maybe just to get this lesson kicked off, you guys can talk about it at your groups a little bit, is, is this. Why is it that we always look down on the generation that follows us? Why is it that we always look down upon them? And why is it that the younger generation always believes that the one who came before them are foolish and out of touch? Why do you think that phenomenon actually exists? Because it definitely exists. Talk about it at your tables, and we'll come back here in a couple of minutes. Anyone have any good thoughts on this as to why you think this happens? Yeah. Yeah. Riley, what's your thought? As the youngest guy in the class right now, what's your thought, Riley? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Wait before we got a generational war happening right here at class. So Riley's thought for you guys on Zoom was sometimes the young people just don't know enough, and the old guys know too much. Um, which there is some science behind this, right? The more you know, the more you know. Normally, the more humble you become. Not because knowledge leads to humility, but normally knowledge leads to the understanding that there is so much more you don't know. Right, so so you keep increasing your knowledge over and over again. You start seeing it's kind of like Minesweeper. You know, you see things keeping expanding. You just keep finding out that the universe is more and more complicated, and there's more and more uh, things out there. And you just become humbled by how small you seem, even though your knowledge is greater than it was before. So, if you're younger and you don't have the wisdom of those trials and the tribulations and the knowledge that occurs, you don't necessarily have that humility about you either. And you kind of think you know it all because inside your little world, you do know it all. And then the old guys, you know, just know too much. Yeah, maybe that is an issue. Who knows? It's a, uh, but yeah, any other major thoughts on this? No, we don't know too much. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're like, I'm proof. Uh, there's not too much knowledge up here. I hear uh, Bob, Bob on Zoom made a good point, and he said, you know, when you're looking down the younger generation, you know, you're looking at them like your kids, you know, and even if your kids are 65 years old, you're, they're still your kids. You remember them in diapers. You remember whenever, you know, they, uh, they, they pulled their sister's hair. Like you remember them as kids. So it's kind of hard to get that respect level when you're always the father figure. Uh, yeah, Daryl. Well, and there's this, this idea that, that there's this recklessness about the younger generation. The younger generation, they're reckless, they're rude. You know, let me read you this quote. This quote says this. It says, We defy anyone who goes out with his eyes open to deny that there is, as never before, an attitude on the part of the young folk which is described as grossly thoughtless, rude, and utterly selfish. Utterly selfish. And you, you could read that and go, man, that's written about today. You know, these kids going out in the college parties. But that was written about the greatest generation right before they went to war, right? So, you know, you, you, you think about this, and, and I, wanna, I just want to prove this point. This is not a new problem, right? It is not a new problem. Uh, it is, it, there's something in us uh, that makes us feel this way. And, and what is unhealthy is there becomes this natural animosity between generations, and this proverb that we're, we're going through today is very, very simple, but it's trying to sit there and say, we know this animosity is there, but I need you to work together. God's telling us he needs the generations to work together for his purposes, for his glory, and he's giving us some, some very simple wisdom in this proverb. So let me read the, read the proverb. Uh, the ESV translation says this. It says, the glory of young men is their strength. But the splendor of old men is their gray hair. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Again, the intent of this is to lift the reader, lift the person who's understanding this proverb above this, this bad attitude of envy and impatience and con- contempt between either the older or the younger, whichever side of this is on. It's trying to lift you out of this. Uh, because the way the way the the Hebrew understanding was at this time is that they really looked at each age having its excellence in some capacity. Excellence in your youth was in your strength, right? That is what you were dependent upon as a youth. Think about especially in a manual labor society, the excellence that was dependent upon for the community to thrive was the strength of the young man. But what was depended upon for the community to thrive, for people to, to, to flourish, was the wisdom of those with gray hair, right? Was the wisdom of the older generation. We, we, each side of this had to be viewed with a healthy level of respect for the other side, for what they brought to the table. Uh, I'll give you an example of this uh, in my life. So I remember one day, I went with my father-in-law. I was back, I was in college, and I was going with, I guess he was probably my future father-in-law at the time. Uh, but me and my brother-in-law, we were both young. You know, we're, we're going with, our, with my father-in-law, his dad, and we're going to help cut down a tree. And, and he just, he, somebody had paid him 50 bucks to cut down this tree in somebody's front yard. And so we go over there to help him. And so he goes over there and he shows us the tree. He shows us exactly where to take the saw, exactly how to saw it, tells us when to stop, tells us every procedure. He goes through it all. And the guy comes out, we cut down the tree, and the guy hands this, you know, my father-in-law a $50 bill. And so he takes the $50, hands me 10 hands us $10. And we kind of look at him because we just did all the work, right? I mean, we, we sat there, I mean, I was sawing that tree, I and mean, we did a lot of work. And he goes, he goes, 
$10 was for the, the uh, strength. $40 was for the wisdom of how to make sure that tree didn't fall on the house, right? And, and so you think about that. We, he depended upon me for the strength, uh, and, and we depended upon his wisdom because I had no idea how to cut down a tree. I would have cut down a tree, and it would have fell on that person's house. You know, there, there's, you think about this in, in, in a more serious context. Uh, those of you who have been in the military, there's a number of military guys in here, a number of military guys on the phone. There's a reason why the person who makes the declaration to go to war normally does not, um, is not in their youth, right? The person who makes the declaration to go to war normally has gray hair, right? But the people who go fight the war, or the people who are on the front lines, are there for what, right? For, for not necessarily for absolute wisdom on the front lines, but you need energy, you need strength, you need endurance, you need athleticism, you need to be the best fighter possible, but you need the person standing behind who's making those decisions to have absolute wisdom. The combination of those two is very powerful. If you let the youth run the war, what will happen? All right, if you let the younger generation run the war, what happens? Yeah. Doesn't it seem like revolutions are always started by the young people? Right? If you just think about it, it seems like the revolutions always come out of the young people. And most revolutions don't go quite as well as the American Revolution did. Uh, but, but, but you normally see that come out. I had a, I had a guy... Uh, who was asking me over the weekend, he sent me a text message, and, and he goes, you know, what, what would crossings look like if all the elders of the church were 35 and younger? And he, got, he, just, he was trying to get youth, young leadership in the church, and he was, he was trying to convince me of this idea. So he goes, what do you think the church would look like if it was all 35 and younger? And I sent him back a picture of a dumpster on fire, you know, and, and, and I go, this is about what it would look like. And I'm 35 years old, by the way. So, but, but, but you have to value the wisdom that comes with age and experience. So what I wanted to do a little bit today is I wanted to, I wanted to just talk about a couple of heroes of mine in the Bible who were just old men who seemed to have a good way of figuring out how to utilize this wisdom to impact uh, whatever they were called to do in the right way. Because I do believe this passage, right? I believe that the splendor of old men is their gray hair. I think there is so much in that. So let's talk about a few old men. First off, and I won't get into this one much, but how old was Moses whenever he led the people out of Israel? Anyone know that, that answer? No, he wasn't 140. Most people think he was 40. I don't know why. Everyone always thinks he's 40. Yeah, he was 80 years old, right? 80 years old whenever he led the people out of Israel. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that seems difficult. But let me, I want to draw your attention to a character named Barzillai. Barzillai. I, I fear most people don't know who this guy is. Uh, but I thought, I thought this was a good example, just a very quick story. So in 1 Kings, or actually in 2 Samuel is where you'll see it uh, more closely. 2 Samuel 19, we meet this character named Barzillai. And what's happening in the story at this point in time is King David is on the throne, and Absalom, we've done a lesson on Absalom in here a couple years ago, uh, Absalom, his son, has pretty much had a mutiny, uh, found a way to get David off the throne, has taken the throne for himself, and is going and gallivanting around. Uh, and then Absalom finds out that it's kind of hard to hold on to power, and David quickly regains his power, and Absalom meets a pretty difficult fate. You know, he gets killed in this process. Uh, but Absalom there for a while, he's looking pretty high, mighty. I mean, he's, he's got the, the, the people convinced. He's gotten the army on his side. I mean, he's done a lot of things really, really right. David, as he's leaving Jerusalem, is getting scolded. I mean, it's kind of like that idea of people throwing tomatoes at you. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of been humiliated. And then enter this guy named Barzillai. 
And we don't know exactly what this guy does, but let me read you this passage. 2 Samuel 19, verse 31. And this is after David has has regained control. It says, Now Barzillai the Gileadite, uh, so man from Gilead, had come down, and he he went on with the king to the Jordan River to escort him over the Jordan. Now Barzillai was a very aged man. He was 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed uh, at the, in this place, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king, King David, said to Barzillai, Come over with me, and I'll provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, servant Chimham. Let him go with my lord the king and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, pretty much says, I will take care of this guy that you've given to me. And the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him and returned to his own home. So there's a few things I wanted to pull out of this very, very short story in the Bible. Uh, first was this. One, one, this guy's an old man, right? He's an old man. He's wealthy. He's done well for himself. But what I think is interesting is that he did not get carried away with the usurper Absalom, right? He was not led astray by Absalom when Absalom took the throne from David. He took a big risk whenever David came into his town in defeat by harboring David, feeding him, providing for him resources, and no telling what else he did with his influence to get David back on the throne. Uh, But he didn't get carried away with the revolution of the unwise. He knew a wise king in David and helped him, right? So he didn't get carried away. Uh, I also like here that this guy, he didn't concern himself with the things of the world. At his age, he didn't care too much about going back to the palace and getting taken care of in a big way. He didn't care about the fancy food, about the banquets. He didn't care about all of that. He knew what mattered to him, and he was willing to tell that straight to the king, and the king honored that request, right? And then lastly, uh, even though he knew what he cared about, he had the next generation in mind. Right? Whenever the offer came for him to go back and live a life of luxury in the palace, he said, I don't need that. That's not what I really care about. But this guy, this guy's a young guy. He would actually benefit from going and living with you and learning your ways, being taken care of in that way. Take what was good for me, and I want you to give it to the next generation. Right? There's a lot of things you just see here that you look at this guy and you go, man, that's, that's who I want to be. You know, like you, you get to that age and you're, you're saying, I... I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respect the, the people who deserve the respect. I'm going to take care. I'm not going to be led astray uh, when forces go ways they ought, shouldn't be. Uh, I'm going to know what matters to me, and I'm going to be looking out at the next generation. It's a good way in, in our older age how to use our wisdom. The other story in the Bible that I thought was very um, a good example of this was Daniel. So Daniel, if you go to Daniel chapter 5, verses 13 through 31, this is where Daniel is having a pretty interesting interaction with Belshazzar. And just to set the history on this a little bit, you have Nebuchadnezzar, you know, obviously who goes, uh, the Babylonian king, and conquers Jerusalem, takes all the people back to Babylon, Daniel being in exile uh, into Babylon. And we see all those stories with Daniel in the first four chapters of the Bible, or first four chapters of Daniel, between him and his friends and Nebuchadnezzar and everything that goes on there. 
Well, after Nebuchadnezzar dies, you know, his son, uh, Belshazzar, uh, takes over, and Daniel is kind of banished, right? Daniel ages, becomes an old man, is kind of put on the sidelines. Well, then Belshazzar has this crazy thing happen to him in the middle of a party, you know, a huge feast where they're utilizing the utensils that the Babylonians took from the temple in Jerusalem. Great way to make God angry, by the way. Uh, but as they're doing all this, this hand comes and starts writing on the wall. And just in case you've ever heard the, you know, let's understand the writing on the wall, that's where this comes from, the story in Daniel. So this hand comes and starts writing on the wall with these words, many, many tinkle, uh, tekel parson. And um, no one knows what they mean. And so this woman remembers, hey, there's this guy named Daniel who was able to interpret the dreams for your father Nebuchadnezzar. Why don't you go grab him? So Daniel, they go and grab Daniel, an old man at this point in time. And this is what happens in this story. So let me start on uh, verse uh, 14. It says, I have heard of you. This is Belshazzar talking. He says, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and to make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, royalty, and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, I love this verse. We should all pay attention to this verse. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your reward to another. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretations. Then he tells him this. He pretty much goes on, and he, he, Daniel pretty much says, Hey, look, your father was humble before God. Your father could do anything he pleased, and he too was humble before God. And by the way, you're not your father, right? He's telling him, you're not your father. Uh, and, and that whole thing you're doing by, by uh, worshiping these other gods and using the utensils that came out of the temple, that's not going to be good for you. So let me tell you what these words mean. And if you go down uh, to verses 26, he says, this is the interpretation of the matter. It says, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And as you guys recall, later that night, the Medes and the Persians had colluded together. They come in and they kill Belshazzar, right? And that's how we enter into the Persian Empire. So we see this in Daniel, and I think there's a lot here in, in this little story that, that we need to be thinking about as, as what it looks like to use our wisdom properly at the time of old age. And you look at this, Daniel's an old man. He has absolutely no concern for his material possessions, absolutely no concern whatsoever. He has enough clout with the king to, to, to really sit there and tell the king to his face what the king needs to hear, but he does it calmly and confidently, right? He speaks the truth calmly and confidently to the man who could have him murdered instantly, right? Absolutely murdered. Uh, but he does it with respect, but he does it without fear of repercussion. There's a great thing you see in, in your old age to a certain extent. You see this in these stories where, where there's a bit of a what-do-I-have-to-lose mentality. 
and uh, I've lived a good life. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to speak the truth. And I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to be the person that everyone can rely upon to stand firm and speak the truth no matter the consequences. Uh, and, and, and I think a lot of uh, what we depend upon, uh, the generations that have gone through everything, is to have that mentality to speak the truth no matter what. Because the truth should reign supreme for the generation that has seen the world turn over multiple times. Daniel does not let his pride or his ego take him over. He's being offered a lot of power and a lot of glory and a lot of prestige here. And he doesn't allow that temptation to get to, to, get to him. And Daniel still has a lot to give. You're going to read the story of Daniel doesn't end here. Daniel does take the, that power and he utilizes that power really well into the next reign uh, of the Persians. Right? So, so we don't see good. He, he goes till his last breath giving of his service and utilizing his wisdom. But he wasn't afraid to speak the truth when the truth needed to be said no matter what was going to happen to him. He continued to serve God uh, every single time. And so what I want us to do uh, is I want us to age. Speaking as a young guy as to what I want to be, and if I look at some of you guys, if we kind of say, what is the Bible trying to teach us? Is we want to be able to age into useful and meaningful wisdom that's applied across the generations. Uh, I, I think our world today needs more people like Daniel and Barzillai who are willing to take those stands, care about the next generation, speak the truth no matter what. Uh, we need people who are capable of teaching young people how to cut down that tree without the tree falling on the house. Right? We need people who care enough to say, you need to come learn this lesson. Right? Who, 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 who say, I don't need those rewards, I don't need those lessons, but this guy does and I'm going to make sure he gets it. Right? I think about the way I got my first job. Right, the way I got my first job, I had no idea how to go apply for a job. Right, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know what you did. I didn't know what, what a resume was. I didn't know all that. The way I got my first job is, is my dad sat there and he drug me down and he goes, this kid can work hard. Um, you got a job. Yeah, he's going to do well. I'm going to make sure he does well. Oh, Blake, you've got a job here. Right? I was 15 years old and he drove me to work every day and picked me up at night and drove me home and taught me how to work hard. Right? So you think about that, though. I needed someone to teach me those things. Gene and I are working with a guy right now who doesn't have someone like that, right? You think about how many people you guys have probably all worked with who just don't have someone like that to teach them things. We've got to be the generation that says we're willing to take you and teach you these things because you don't know. To Riley's point, you don't know what you don't know, right? You just don't know. You don't have that knowledge yet, right? But we do, and we owe it to the next generation, no matter how idiotic they seem right now. We owe it to that generation to help them along. We need people who will be who Paul was to Timothy, right? We need those examples. Uh, we, you think about how Paul was able at the very end of his days to say, I'm being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. Right? You go back to Philippians, he said, I've been poured out like a drink offering on the sacrificial altar of your faith, right? Uh, you think about these men who gave their very last breath doing God's work for his kingdom, looking out for the people who'd be coming after them. So uh, just a few closing thoughts on this. So I'm, I'm reading a book right now uh, that, that has impressed me. It's called Letters to a Young Pastor. And I don't, you guys have probably all read a Eugene Peterson book at some point in time in your life. If, if, if you don't, if you've ever seen the, the message translation of the Bible, you've read some of Eugene Peterson's work. Uh, but Eugene Peterson is a fantastic pastor, author, a really good guy. 
but his son came in his footsteps, and his son became a pastor as well. And they lived about four hours apart, and, and one time they had this great road trip where they got to go on together and spend eight hours in the car together, and his son just really appreciated the time he got to spend with his dad. And when he got home, he said, Dad, I, you know, I know we, we, we live far apart. He goes, but I really appreciate your wisdom. Is there a way we can keep this going? And so they committed to write letters together, uh, just to send letters back and forth so that an old pastor could speak into the life of a young pastor and just help him along. And so after Eugene Peterson died, his son, Eric, collected all these letters that Eugene had sent him over the years and put them into a book. And I'm reading them right now, and they are just gold, absolute gold. And I was thinking about all the wisdom that the elder Peterson had that he imparted on the junior Peterson and how that impacted the congregation of the younger pastor. Right? have to be willing to make that time. Uh, Tyler, uh, one of my friends who joins us on Zoom a whole lot, uh, he's a Marine, just retired from the Marines. And uh, he and I were talking late last night, and he said, you know, it's really interesting that whenever you join the Marines, he goes, he goes you're actually, they, they forcibly make sure you have a mentor. Make sure you have someone who is going to be there looking out for you. You know, they standardize that process. And he goes, I wonder what that would look like if the church did it. And I was like, well, we ought to be doing that. You know, it's, like, it's like we shouldn't have to standardize, but, but God calls us to go and do that. Uh, we, we have to make sure that we're looking out uh, for the next generation. And I think, I think what, what I'm so afraid of is that we will fall back into that natural animosity that exists between the generations. And we become afraid of it on both sides. The younger generation looks to the older and says they don't know what they're talking about. And the older generation looks to the younger and says, you screwed up everything I've worked for. Right? You just screwed it up. What are you doing? Right? Somehow we have to bridge that gap. And the church is where we can bridge that gap. Right, where we can have grace, where we can have compassion, where we can have respect for the other side. We've got to be able to do that. Uh, I, I want to make sure that the older generation doesn't see their gray hair as, as an impediment to service in the church. Because the Bible tells us what? Gray hair is, is for your glory. But it says earlier in the Proverbs, gray hair is your crown of righteousness. Right? Your crown of righteousness. It is a view of respect. Right? It, it, as you get older, that doesn't mean that your service to the church wanes. It means it increases. What we count on you as the older generation to do becomes more and more important. So I hope what we can do here is try to just, as we, as we go through our interactions with different generations, hope we can somehow, out of this proverb, have an understanding that we need to, as a young man, I've got to make sure that I am looking towards the older generation in the way the Bible teaches me to, which is their wisdom is what you need right now. You don't have it. You're 35 years old. You have not been through the trials of life, but they have. Go and seek it. And for the older generation, it's I don't have the strength that I once have, but you do, and God is going to do so much for you in your lifetime, but you need to know this, right? But none of that can work if we don't base both sides of that conversation on the word of God. Wisdom comes from the word of God. And the warning we get from this a little bit is, I think one of you guys has told this to me before, is 
we're all going to have an impact in society. We're all going to have an impact on our generations. Uh, we're all going to influence. The question is, is it going to be a good influence or a bad influence? That may have been you, Mr. Langer. I can't remember. But, or is it going to be a good influence or a bad influence? The way we can make sure it's a good influence is by making sure everything we do is based upon the Word of God. We need to be men who exude the Word of God because through that, the Holy Spirit will make sure that our influence is influence of godly wisdom on the next generation. So as we close today with all that in mind, I know it's a bit ambiguous application, uh, but I want you to be thinking about how God may use this lesson today. Uh, what, what is it that he may ask you to get involved in? Who is it that he may ask you to mentor? Who is it that he may ask you to have a softer heart about? What, what young people are you dealing with that, that may, may sit there and you just want to smack them around, but you need to just pat them on the head and say, I forgive you because you don't know what you're doing, right? I mean, it's, there's a lot of those people out there. If you get on social media at all, you're going to find a lot of those people out there. So you don't know what you're doing, but I love you. You need me. I need you. We're going to work together. So as we close up, as you just kind of think about how God may use this, I want to read Scott's poem. I love this poem. Uh, I, thought it, I thought it really captured the heart of this proverb. So I'm going to read the proverb in the King James Version, and then I'll, I'll read this poem, and we'll uh, get out of here today. Uh, It says, the glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is the gray head. Hair turns gray, strength departs. Don't despair, let soar your hearts. Lifelong wisdom earn that gray, beauty of your elder days. Share with children, young men too. Guide and mold those all around you. Learn the good book, delve in deep. Share that knowledge, sow, then reap. God's eternal plan you see shines his glory when you lead. Stay in Christ, speak the word. Glory gray means you'll be heard. You earn stripes each year of life. All that gray speaks joy and strife. Godly gray are men indeed. Share your wisdom, cast a seed. Fertile soil that seed will find. God will win their hearts and mind. Good job, Scott. Let me pray and we'll get out of here. Uh, Father, I thank you for these guys. I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you how you continue to teach us that this body of Christ is not one age group. This body of Christ is not one race. It's not one political party. It's not one people group in any way. The body of Christ is all of us together who put our faith in you. And you find ways to use us. Like the eye and the ear work together to see, to hear, to understand. So do the old and the young work together in your wisdom. I thank you for these guys, and I thank you for how you will use them. May you watch over them, convict them, lead them. May we be your servants here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a good one.